Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Um, We are going to continue in our Luke series this morning. Um, Last week, we looked at how Jesus resolved, how he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And everything from here on in, um, in Luke, has the cross looming in the background. Remember talking about well, me talking about that, you didn't talk about that. You sat there and listened, hopefully. Some of you are awake. I remember seeing you. Um, but we, I talked about the cross was looming in the background. Um, then we looked at the cost of following, the cost involved in following Jesus. How the three follow me's that came in verse 57 to 62. Um, Jesus was after true, dedicated, not faint-hearted followers and believers not faint-hearted and semi-committed. And now in light of that, in chapter 10 from verse 1, Jesus sends out 72 people. So um, let's, where's my little clicker? Uh, Let's read from chapter 10. Oh, there we go. From verse 1. It says this, Now after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place, where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazan, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, They would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. It would have been more bearable, but it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Wow. They are some, uh, it's a nice light read this morning, isn't it? But let's go back to verse 1. We see, firstly, that this mission goes beyond the 12 disciples, that beyond the chosen few, we see 72 go out. 72 was probably around as many nations as there were at that time as well. And everyone gets involved. He's sending out the 72 on a mission of healing and gospel proclamation. He sends them out two by two. 
Firstly, this was probably how they traveled in ancient times for safety reasons, but also to line up with Old Testament requirements as a double witness. You can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and 19. We Remember, we always read this in the mind of what has preceded it and what is to come. What preceded it was, well, what we looked at last week was that the cross is coming. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And then last, before last week, Jesus was asking, do you really want to follow me? The 72 are clearly fit for the kingdom. Remember last week he, he said uh, those who weren't fit for the kingdom, who put their hands to the plow and looked back, weren't fit for the kingdom. Well, Jesus has invited these 72 in. And this is what Jesus does. He says, come into my kingdom. You will discover something more precious than gold, me. Die to self. Truly find who you are created to be. And I will bless you. And I then will send you out to bless others. This is what Jesus does. At the end of verse 1, he says, go into every town and place. This was more than the 12 were able to accomplish by themselves. They had so far gone into the towns and villages of Galilee, but the 72 go into every town and place. The bigger the mission, the bigger the team needed. Where were they going? Where he himself was about to go. Where he himself was about to go. There's an urgency, and we pick that up in the next few verses, but we need to Keep that urgency now that Christ is coming. This is why this book is still relevant to us today, because Christ is returning. He will come back one day to judge the living and the dead. Verse 2, it says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in to the harvest. Jesus, again, like last week, was, is using agricultural language, often used for this <clears throat> spiritual harvest. We read in Isaiah, he talks about this type of harvest in Hosea, Joel, and in Romans. He says, the harvest is plentiful. There are many people that will be saved. That There are many people that aren't yet Christians, Christ followers, that will be Christ followers. What is a harvest? It is the process, the definition is the process of gathering a ripe crop from a field. That's what a harvest is. So let's raise our expectations today of people who will give their lives to Jesus, who will truly follow him. But, he says, however, the laborers are few. Few that are willing to sacrifice their time, their money and their efforts to reach others with the life and love of Jesus. He's saying to these 72 who are volunteers, pray, therefore, pray earnestly, seek God. We all want to see success when it comes to reaching people for Christ, don't we? Good, well done, church, good answer. Uh, but what we must never forget is this, what he's telling us to do here, pray, pray, partner with the Holy Spirit, because ultimately it is the, God's harvest. Everything depends on the Lord's unlimited resources. Sometimes we might want to rush into things, we, we, but we need to seek him first. 
that's why we are so keen for people to be at prayer meetings. I know I, I talk about this a lot, but we are keen for people to be at prayer meetings. We want a gathering of his people. We're seeking him for what he wants to do. This is not just an hour and a half of people getting together and coming to God with a list of things. What we're doing in these times is almost Moses-esque. We're saying, Lord, if you don't go with us, we won't go up from this place. We're seeking his guidance, his direction. We're saying, come and speak to us. That's what these prayer meetings are for. So he says, pray. Pray that more take responsibility because encouragingly, there is plenty. Yesterday, I'm going to have to pick this up because it's going to put me off for the rest of the... Um, yesterday was at an alpha, alpha kind of training day in London and they were talking about spiritual awakenings. And it said, they were saying how revival spiritual awakenings always, always start with prayer. A gathering of God's people. Now this might not be your tradition, your background of, of gathering together with other believers on a regular basis to pray and seek God. But this is where revival starts. So come to these meetings. They're really good. They're really important times. We're seeking God together. Yes, we'll face rejection following Jesus, but there are encouragingly many, many who will respond. So we need more help. So first, before we go out, pray and ask the Lord of the harvest. Jesus says in John 6, 63, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. We can play our part, but it is him who comes and gives life. That's why we need to seek him. And we exist not just for survival, but for the salvation of many. For God to awaken the spiritually dead. And he goes on to tell them that it won't be easy. It says, verse 3, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. He's warning of danger and hostility on all sides. Wolves are, uh, represent those who consume their enemy. Last week, I touched on being aware and alert to things that we listen to in terms of teaching. In Matthew Jesus says this, to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Serpents are a symbol of shrewdness and doves were simple innocents. But we need to be aware. Wolves are always trying to ravage the sheep and it can be more subtle than we think. Last week I talked about the prosperity gospel and how it was, it was more than just, um, uh, just about money and prosperity financially it was the lack of um, suffering but also there's other things there's false teaching there can be a moral living and others encouraging people to join that acts 20 29 to 30 it says even from your own number men will rise up and distort the truth and draw disciples after them we have to be careful we can what can be apparent christian teachers can be saying stuff that actually it's just 
They're bending to every wind of doctrine. Shepherds, sheep, they want to send people they see growth. Wolves want to draw people to themselves. So be aware. Be aware what you allow into your gates, into your ears, into your eyes. Moving on, verse 4 says, Carry no money bag, no knapsack, sandals, greet no one on the road. He wants people to travel light and travel fast because this mission is urgent. They mustn't be concerned with normal affairs of life. Don't get distracted, but go. There is no time for the sent ones to stop and chat along the road. They will need to trust in the Lord's provision. Then in verses 5 to 9, they're going as ambassadors of peace. And in this, in, this section here, he, he instructs Jesus what to do as ambassadors when they arrive. Peace to this house. And this is more than just a conventional greeting. It is saying, God be with you. God be with you. It's a greeting that can be rejected or accepted. Son of peace there, he says, your peace will rest upon them. And rejection to this offer can be folly. In 1 Samuel 20, 25, Nabal was called a son of folly for rejecting and attacking God's messengers. This peace that is offered is real. And it can be said to be rest upon a house or return to the one who is offering it. And this has consequences for the future as well as now. So when we speak to people, we look for those who are receptive. There will be difficulty, but there will be people who are more receptive than others. So who... who would come to an event, come to church, come to a connect group, or come to Alpha if you just ask them. You don't know? Well, try. Don't want to get rejected? Well, guess what? It's going to happen. And I think we need to come to terms with the fact that speaking about Jesus Mission, witnessing, evangelism will never be comfortable. I don't think it's supposed to be. I hate to break that to you. I don't think it's supposed to be comfortable. And sometimes we can waste our time with people who just want to argue and look at different angles. There is a place for that, for apologetics and trying to examine the truth of that. But we need to reveal Jesus and get to the heart of Love those that want to argue and uh, may want to be difficult. Pray for them, but try and find out those who are close, who are sons of peace, who are maybe even new in their faith and help them become established in their faith. They're told to stay in the same house, establish relationships, don't move around, find a base. This is a good model for church planting. That's why we, as a church, love to be part of a wider movement, support church planting. This is a good model for connect groups in different areas. If you're not in a connect group, join one. You will find relationship there. If you want to join a connect group, come and see my friend Herman at the end. Verse 8, he says, eating what is set before you. This would have been a major problem for the religious people at the time. Eat what is set before you. Jesus is saying, be content. Don't be concerned with the quality of hospitality. Um, 
I remember, uh, this was oh, 10 years or so ago, we took uh, the youth from this church to South Africa, and um, <clears throat> we had good relationships with the church there, and we connected up with their youth, and a lot of their youth were from the township there as well. And we were keen to give our youth an authentic experience. Now, this might sound dangerous, but we, we were going to let them stay for a night in the township with, these fam with some families that we knew well. And we'd done our background <coughs> research. It, it was fairly safe. They weren't going to get, you know, dragged off in the middle of the night or anything. Um, so this was a safe-ish township. And they were going to stay with these families, and they were going to look after them. And we were hoping they would... I think it's called pap, isn't it, that they eat? Some, and um, we were hoping these, the youth were going to eat pap, and they were going to experience what it was really like to... Uh, face difficulty in life. Um, but sadly, the youth in South Africa were so excited about this, they'd saved for months and months and took them out for pizza instead. <laughs> so it didn't quite work. We were hoping for pap, they got pizza. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> this, this also relates to last week about not being concerned with the quality of hospitality, where we mustn't be too concerned by our quality of living. We mustn't get too comfortable, but we should use our homes for the kingdom. Use our homes for things like connect groups. Use our homes for hospitality to draw people in. We've had amazing kingdom moments in our home with people. Their main responsibility is in verse 9, says, Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom has come near. Heal the sick. We should still pray for the sick today. If we've got anyone who is sick here today or in pain, come and get prayed for at the end. And we mustn't let disappointments put us off. Keep going. Keep praying. The more people we pray for, the more people will get healed. The kingdom is near. The rule and reign of God is in people's hearts and lives. It is manifest when people come to him in and for salvation and, it, and in miraculous healing, it's a foretaste of the resurrected life in the age to come. The kingdom is here and ever increasing. That's why we need to declare it today. That's why we need to tell people about him. Because he is coming again. Believe in that day. There is an urgency to the gospel. The gospel is good news. But it is more than just offering his forgiveness. It's also proclaiming God's judgment over those who reject the offer. And verse 11 to 16 is a, a stark warning for those who reject the offer of the kingdom. It says this from verse 11, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Next slide, please. Thanks. Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. And the one who hears you hears me. 
The one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. This starts with a prophetic, a vivid prophetic action of the shaking of the dust from their feet. This speaks of a withdrawal of the offer of peace and a separation from God and a declaration of his coming judgment. Then over the next few verses, Jesus names these cities and, and towns and talks about judgment. Verse 12, he says, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. That day, judgment day, Jesus return. Believe it. That's what it says in this book. And Sodom is known as an evil city that appears in Genesis 19. And it was destroyed because of its great sinfulness. Sulfur rained down and consumed the city. Jesus is saying, those who saw and see the Messiah and reject him will suffer more than Sodom. He goes in to name these other places, Chorazan, Bethsaida, and compares them to Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were cursed throughout the Old Testament for their sin and oppression of the Israelites. In Isaiah 23 and uh, Ezekiel, you can read about that. <clears throat> These were heathen, pagan cities. And Bethsaida, Chorazan, Capernaum were supposed to represent God, yet they have refused to listen. He says, if the mighty works had been performed in these ancient pagan cities, those sinners would have repented. He's saying, they exhibit more spiritual discernment than these current cities. What a rebuke. They would have repented, and there will be judgment. <clears throat> he asks a rhetorical question, will Capernaum be exalted to heaven? And the answer is damning. You shall be brought down to Hades. These are difficult words to read and take in today. Repentance, judgment, Hades. Hades is where the unrighteous reside. It's a place of suffering. Jesus talked about hell. We mustn't get confused with Old Testament and New Testament and think God was kind of this angry, wrathful God in the Old Testament and then, you know, he had some counselling and he was chilled out and then Jesus came along in the New Testament and he's, ah, oh, meek and mild. No, he is the same yesterday, today and forever. We mustn't go soft on these issues to try and win people. When we talk about being saved, we're being saved from something. It means that we're all heading in the same direction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin separates us from God, from his presence, the source of all joy, love, wisdom and any good thing. It means we cannot in enter into heaven as a sinful person. Heaven with sin wouldn't be heaven. And the wages of our sin are death. Death to God, and we are destined for hell, apart from God, apart from Christ. And Jesus talked about hell often. 
have some verses up from Matthew. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as shepherds separate the sheep from the goats. Matthew 13, let both grow together until the harvest at harvest time, and I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out all his kingdom kingdom, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 8, 8, 18, 8. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. Hell also isn't annihilation. Words used like Undying worm, unquenchable fire, tell us that this is a conscious thing. And Christians can even struggle with the fact that a loving God would send people to hell. How can God be loving and condemn people to hell? But Jesus, the Lord of love, the author of grace, spoke about hell in a more vivid, blood-curdling way than anyone else. So if we believe this book... and his saving grace, this must be a crucial truth because Jesus spoke about it. Matthew 10, 28. Uh, I think I've got this one. Yes, I have. Thanks, Ruben. He said, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's talking to the, the disciples here who would eventually be tortured, sawn in half, crucified, yet he's saying that's a picnic compared to hell. Hell is clearly a real place, and Jesus meant it, not only physical but spiritual misery. And worst of all, it is separation from God, because from the beginning, from the very beginning, we were created to be in his presence, to walk with him, Genesis 2. Sin excludes us, from God's face. And everything we ever look for as humans is in his face. Isaiah talks about his face. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is important for those who saw Jesus, who saw his miracles and for now, because it says at the end, verse 16, though, those who hear you, hear me, reject you, reject me. It unveils the danger and seriousness of living for yourself apart from God. Romans 1 to 2, Ephesians 4, talks about God giving people up or people giving themselves up to sinful desires. C.S. Lewis called hell the greatest monument to human freedom. He said that, also, he said there are two kinds of people in the end, those who say to to God, thy will be done, and those who God says to them, in the end, thy will be done. 
all that are in hell choose it. The Bible tells us, like Lewis, that people get what they really want in this life and the next. To have God as Lord and Saviour and Master or be their own Saviour and Master. God is loving and merciful, full of grace, but he is also judge and full of justice. If we dismiss judgment and justice, all victims of injustice, violence, oppression are then at risk. The vulnerable become more vulnerable. Bullies can continue to bully. If we said that God was only a God of love, it would create more problems than it would solve. There is evil, and there must be justice. To be truly loving to everybody, there must be judgment. God alone defines what sin is, and God alone defines what love is. He doesn't have to save everyone for him to show what love is. His standards are the ones that matter. And we must cling to what Abraham says in Genesis 18.25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? I have to rest in that. When there is injustice, when there is pain, when there is difficulty, I have to trust in the judge of all the earth. He will do what is right in the end. Because within us all, we have that sense of justice. We, we all want it. We all want justice. From a very early age, I have three children, but they all want justice. <clears throat> and they know when there is injustice. We all want justice until it comes to ourselves. If God was all-loving and just saved everyone, there would be no need for the cross. Only a loving, personal God comes close to deal with sin. Jesus himself, God incarnate, took that punishment. He cried out. He took the nails through his hands. He had the crown of thorns on his head. He agonized on our behalf. What love. What love that he showed. He took the sin and judgment and hell away from us if we give our lives to him. And if we took sin and judgment and hell away, there'd be no need for that. We wouldn't be able to sing, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We wouldn't be able to sing that. Only through Jesus, only through the cross, could our separation be dealt with. Only by coming to Jesus can you know eternal life and spend eternity loving and praising what you're created for. In Isaiah 53, it says, he laid on him the iniquity of us all. In Alpha, there's, Nicky Gumbel does this demonstration He talks about there's us and there was God. And our sin and our iniquity is what separated us from God. And he said, he laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And it allowed us to be free. Free to have that relationship with him. He sets us free from sin. We were separated and we 
Our destiny was changed because of the cross. What love he showed. Because of the reality of hell. The wrath of God is true. Because he is a judge and he is full of justice. But justice was paid on the cross. On our behalf. Come to him and he will give you life and forgiveness and freedom. You see, there are only two paths. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Choose the narrow gate. Choose life. Because hell is real. He will judge us all. One day you will face him. Choose the narrow gate. Choose life. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus, you would not call yourself a Christian, I'm not saying these things to try and scare you into it, but I'm saying it because he wants a relationship with you. He died on the cross because he loves you. And you can come to him right now. Just through a very simple prayer. We're all just going to bow our heads for a moment. And as we do that, if you want to give your life to Jesus today, and you want to change your eternal destination forever, you can just pray these words after me, and then with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can follow him for the rest of your life. So if, you, if that's you, if you want to do that, you can just echo these words after me. <clears throat> Lord, I'm sorry that I've turned my back on you. I'm sorry for the things I've done. Thank you that you died on the cross for me, taking the judgment that I deserved. Thank you for the punishment that you took. Please now forgive me and come and take first place in my life. And by the help of your Holy Spirit, Help me follow you for the rest of my life. Amen. Now, church, as Christians, what we've read today, let this fuel us for evangelism, for our witness, to go ahead of him because he is coming. Believe in that day. Trust him for the harvest. Come to him for fruit. What we've let what we've looked at over the last two weeks spur you on to live for him. Not just be a Christian, but let there be fruit in your life. There's a lot more we could have looked at today about judgment and what will happen at, at the end times. But live a life worthy of his call. We're going to come back to worship now. The band, if we could ask you to just come back. 
I realise this has not been a, a joyful, laugh-a-minute word this morning, but God loves you, and we need to hear these things, because this is in his word. I ask you to stand, and let's pray together, church. <clears throat> Lord, we just want to offer ourselves to you again. So let your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, thank you that you have saved us by your grace. What love that you showed for us on that cross. What mercy, what grace that we don't deserve. Lord, I, I pray for us as a church. Will you help us follow you? Help us not get distracted. Help us not look back. Help us believe in that day. Help us be bold and courageous. Holy Spirit, will you come? Come and fill each and every one of us again. Come, Holy Spirit. So you just respond to him in your heart as we worship now. And if you want prayer at the end for healing, for anything, come and, come and speak to us at the front.